Hey friends, I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Erin Cusio, and this is Room for Lovely. As a mother of three boys, there have been moments in my life where any one of the three might mention the army. It is a present topic in our family because my husband lost his best friend to the war in Iraq nearly 20 years ago. Our boys have heard his story, and he is an honored hero in our home. But always, in the back of my mind when we're having these conversations, I have a bit of fear. Fear that maybe one day, they'd choose a career in the military too. In my years of teaching, I used to read a poem with my students about the horrors of war. There was a bit at the end that said, and I'm paraphrasing, If you had seen what I had seen, if you could know what I know— You would never want to send your young men off to war. We discussed this a bit, and one of my students raised a hand and asked, didn't they know what they signed up for? And I replied, of course, I'm sure they knew, but I don't think anyone could ever fully know until they've been there. My dear friend, Alicia Richard, is with me today. She knows. Her son, Corporal Matthew Richard, gave his life in Afghanistan for our country. Hearing her story, being reminded of the honor, sacrifice, and bravery of her son and the courage she and her family have had in the wake of his loss seeped deep down into my mother's soul. This selflessness of not only Matthew in his service, but also of the family and the way that they have continued his legacy are beautiful, raw, hard stories that encourage us all to more selflessness, more grace, and more persistence. Today, we honor Corporal Matthew Richard. Today, we honor the lost. We honor the brave. We honor those left behind. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast. I am so honored to have you on and to have you tell your story. If you would, would you begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be chosen to be part of your podcast. I am a 19-year teacher. I teach fifth grade math and science. I am married to my husband, Jeff, 35 years this year. I have three children, Joshua, Matthew, and Laura. And as you know, Matthew was killed in Afghanistan in June of 2011. And I have three beautiful children with one on the way. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. That is wonderful. I know that's so exciting. Matthew's story is a huge part of your story. And so I'd like to go back just a little bit and talk about Matthew and how he kind of made the decision to join and serve our country because that's a huge deal. And it was something that had been on his heart for a really long time, right? Correct. Matthew talked about military life since the first grade. I have a journal handwritten by him as a first grader saying that he wanted to be a soldier when he grew up. Wow. That had always been something that he'd been called to do. Um, His defining moment was September 11th. When September 11th happened, he was sitting in a fifth grade classroom watching the events unfold. And he came home that day and said, I will make sure this never happens in our country again. And so he made it his mission and he never wavered from that day forward. And then once he was in high school, he kept pursuing the military 
career, wanting us to sign him up early before he was 18. And it wasn't something we felt we were ready to do as parents because we wanted to make sure that he understood the ramifications of serving our country during wartime. He came to me one day with tears in his eyes and he said, Mama, I need to speak to you. And he said, I have to do this. I don't want to live with regrets. And I asked him when I questioned him, you know, do you understand what that means? Do you understand the sacrifices you'll have to make? He did. And I asked him why he came to me with tears. And he was such a compassionate, loving young man. He knew that it was something that could potentially hurt us as a family, me and my husband. He knew it was something we weren't ready for. But He was called to do this. The month before his birthday, or a week before, I can't quite remember, we took him to enlist in the Marine Corps. So he wasn't quite 18, could not do it on his own. And after much talk and deliberation, Jeff and I took him out to sign the papers. That was the biggest gift that we could give him. I would imagine that there's got to be this huge balance of being so proud that he is willing to make this adult decision and that he is willing to be so sacrificial and wanting to go and serve our country, but then also not wanting to send your baby off when you know that there are huge ramifications and potential dangers that he's going to face. We were torn. We wanted to do what was right for our child, but we also wanted to show him how much we love and support him and absolutely proud of him for understanding his calling and at 17 to be able to stand up to us and say, I have to do this, even though he knew in our hearts that we were unsure, you know, we were saddened to know the potential of our son going to war was so close. So he did sign up and he was eventually deployed. And I think that We all have some understanding of what war entails. It's obviously not a pleasant environment or a safe environment. Um, It's one thing to enlist and serve. It's another thing to be deployed, like you said, in wartime. And so he was deployed twice. How did you guys come to understand war in a different light after that first deployment? It became real. It became what we would see on TV. In 2009, they were in the Helmand province where they were the first ones in to clear the Taliban. And he was able to let us know that something big was coming up. So we knew something was going on. We lost touch with him for several weeks, but we watched TV. Knowing our son was one of those made it real. And we did catch a couple of glimpses of him during that time on television. And unfortunately, they were very sad times where they buried or they had to, um, they memorialized 13 of their men from that particular battle. He came home a very different person from that deployment. Is there anything specific that you can point to that was different? I'm sure we can all imagine that that would definitely change a person, but specific things that you maybe felt as a mother were different. He was quieter. He was more timid and he was always so strong and so fearless. But I remember a time where he actually came and slept in our bed. It was during New Year's Eve when fireworks went off. And so that was a whole different side. There was another time when he was out with his friends and my daughter, something popped and he hit the ground. He was definitely more timid, more cautious. That second time he was deployed again, did any part of that deployment feel different for you guys as a family? 
Ooh, yes, on two occasions. When we first got the call from his readiness officer that they would be deploying, I had a full-blown panic attack. There was something that didn't feel right. And then at another time, a week before Memorial Day, which was at actually a week later that he was killed. Something didn't feel right. My daughter came to me a couple of times and said, I don't feel good about this. There were times when I was exercising that I actually allowed my mind to plan his services because something just wasn't right. And unfortunately, your mother's intuition was correct. And he did give his life in service. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys were thrust into that life of losing a child to war? It was June 9th. I just finished school a week into it. Thursday morning, the doorbell rang at about a quarter to six. And I went there thinking, oh, Matthew. But then I pushed that aside saying, nah, you know, that's just somebody that needs help. And we opened the door to three or four uniformed men. And we knew. We live in, I don't live there anymore, but in a very small town. And so ultimately, Matthew became a hero in the town, but it almost pushed you guys to sort of a local celebrity status. How did you guys navigate the grief that you had to feel with that sort of spotlight on you? That was difficult. That was a difficult time. I am proud of Matthew for what he did. And I understand what he did. But I also try to stay humble because too many parents lose their children other ways. And I don't want his death to seem more important than the death of any other child. The town rallied around us. It was a beautiful time. You know, they still do. There is no way we would have survived without our community. The celebrity status is hard because we're not celebrities. We're just simple people who love the country life, who love our children. Family and faith are most important to us. When you guys were moving forward after losing Matthew, did you have any discussions about ways that maybe you could memorialize him or you could keep his legacy alive in the wake of his death? We didn't personally as a family, but we had a friend that came to us, Nancy Leonard's, and she said, if you, when y'all decide to do this, let me know. I would like to be a part of it. And she wanted to do a run. So about three months before his first year anniversary, we decided to do it. We decided to open up a scholarship. We called Nancy and within three months, we had our first 5K. And so tell me about the 5K. What do you guys do and what is the benefit from it? Well, the 5K, we started a foundation, the Corporal Matthew Richard Memorial Foundation. It provides a $1,000 scholarship to NIOTA High School Senior. Any other profits go to service organizations for our veterans. We, um, with the run, we have anywhere from three to 500 runners. And then we have other people that come out to help just to visit, to dance, to eat. So we have anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people in town at the pavilion. The run has helped us to raise enough money to help erect the um, IOTA Veterans Memorial Pavilion. We have donated nearly 200,000 to service organizations. Wow, that's incredible. And so the service organizations, what kinds of things do they help to do? We donate to different ones like dogs for our braves, for our brave, where we have one of our own Marines who has received two service dogs. We have given to the Gary Sinise Foundation, who has built a home for one of our own personal Marines, Matthew's brothers, 
we've given to the Simplify Fund, who has helped many of our disabled or injured Marines and other veterans as well. Um, the list is endless. We've given to the Fisher House for Families of the Fallen. Um, that first week, we spent our entire week there waiting for Matthew to come into Dover, and we felt that was a good cause. Being able to give back in this way, knowing that you've lost your own son, but that you are helping so many other families along the way, has that helped any with your own grief? It has. It has some. The grief is always there. Just each day is different. But knowing that I can help others and I have a story to share for others with others, we've met other um, Gold Star families. Just knowing that we're not alone helps us and knowing that we can help others does help somewhat. You and I have had a discussion about the run and you made a really honest statement that I thought was really raw, but really important. And you said that at first you didn't want to do the run, but it was a way to keep you busy in the wake of trying to mourn your son. Well, when Nancy came to us, I agreed to it only because I needed to stay busy. I buried myself in the busyness to avoid the grief. I still do that at times. My daughter has to kindly remind me. But yes, I did that as a way to run away or to avoid feeling what I was feeling. I think that's something that a lot of people could relate to because whether it's grief or whether it's something different, oftentimes we are very willing to try to displace that emotion on something else, displace that energy on something else in an effort to not have to focus on the thing that is so huge and monumental in our life in that moment. As you've kind of peeled back the layers of your grief just a little bit, how have you tiptoed into those waters? I think that grief comes in waves. Like I said, I'm good at keeping myself busy to avoid it, but there are times. Um, we have a lot of memorials or a lot of um, anniversaries that occur, patriotic holidays, um, homecomings, certain things wash over me. I'll have a, uh, a moment where I'll have great sadness. I'll cry. I'll do my thing, but I push it away. I'm very good at finding things to just keep it at bay. So we're talking 11 years and I know that I have not grieved in the same way that Jeff or my other two children have, because it's easier for me to just avoid it, ignore it. And I know it's there. And sometimes it does come over me, but I like to say it's, you know, I don't allow it because things could always be worse. You know, I know losing a child is bad. I could have lost two. I could have lost three. I try to focus on the good, you know, um, in life, anything that happens, there's always worse. I think you said two really important things there. And the first is that grief is not linear. Grief is constantly coming in waves. And sometimes we're having really good seasons where we're, we're feeling like it's manageable. And then there's other times that it completely washes over us. But you also mentioned that you haven't grieved in the same way as Jeff and the other two kids. And I think that's important too, because we are all entitled to grief in our own way. And that's important. But I also think it's important to be able to respect the grief journey of the other people around you. How have you guys been able to walk side by side, but also walk different paths? Setting boundaries, respect. You know, I know for me, not want, I think part of it is I don't want grief to define me. So I don't allow myself to show grief to others. I have faith that there was a reason that this happened. And I look for, or I ask God to show me the good things. 
and I don't want to dwell on the negative. But through respect, my husband grieves totally different. Jeff struggles with it a lot more. He and Matthew, we were all close, but Matt, he and Matthew were two peas in a pod. He's lo- he lost his hunting buddy. He lost his fishing buddy. Grief comes over him more often. He's not afraid to show it. And I have to be patient, respect that, because I understand that grief comes differently for every single person. It's such an accomplishment that you guys have made it 35 years in marriage, period. That in and of itself is an accomplishment, but also that you have been able to continue on together for this long in marriage while also treading the very difficult waters of losing a child, especially in the way that you've got, you guys have lost a child. Is there any advice that you would give to other married couples that you would point to as being the glue that has kept you guys together? Commitment. We committed that no matter what happened in our life, in our married life, that we would stay committed to each other. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, There's days when we absolutely don't like each other, but we do love each other and we're committed to making it work. Understanding that we do things differently and respecting that, respecting that if Jeff is having a hard day and he's outside, he spends a lot of time outside, I let him do what he needs to do. When he's ready to talk, he will talk. He respects the fact that I don't ever want to talk or grieve in front of anybody or I don't show that. He may not understand it and I may not understand his grief, but we just respect each other. We set our boundaries because we love each other and we're committed. I think that commitment is such a huge inspiration, honestly, for so many people because what I'm hearing you say is it's a choice. And I think that I heard a quote one time that said that falling in love is what everybody aims for, but falling in love doesn't indicate the choice that you have to make every single day to stay together and to stay committed. And so I really respect the fact and look up to the fact that you guys have remained committed after all these years. That's such a huge deal. How today is Matthew's legacy still alive? Because I know that even though he's not here, it's still such an important part of your lives. Oh gosh, every minute we have, we make it a point not to let him be forgotten. I teach fifth grade, which was the grade that he was in when 9-11 occurred. So I continue to teach the events. My students understand what Matthew went through. I share Matthew's story with them. I share his story with anybody that is willing to listen. We've had people come to us throughout the years to share stories we didn't know about Matthew. There is a documentary out for anybody that might be interested. It is called The Hornet's Nest, and it covers part of his 2009 deployment. I am very fortunate to work in a school where they do allow me to show parts of it. So my kids get to actually see Matthew in action. There are glimpses of him there. So his legacy lives on there. I can't remember the year exactly. We were contacted by a chaplain, an Air Force chaplain from the UK, who was doing a book on drone operations and war ethics. And it came to his attention that there was a drone operator who watched the explosion occur. 
once he got back to base, took it upon himself to find out who that casualty was. And he found out, and he had been following us for several years and praying for us. And finally, they reached out and shared his story. So we were able to see that he was never alone. They were providing overwatch through a a drone. Other ways, we've got Marines who've named their children after Matthew. We have a school teacher here in Iota who's named her child after Matthew. Our biggest fear was always that he would be forgotten. And as long as these children that are growing up with his name know his story and can share his story, it's going to be a long time before he'll be forgotten. I have seen personally a huge departure in patriotism. You know, you talked about Matthew being so young and having this burning desire to go and fight for our country and serve our country. So many young people today just don't understand that idea of patriotism like we saw even five, 10, 15 years ago, there's such a change in that area. In teaching this to your fifth grade kids and in them understanding that this is your son who has given his life, do you see any light bulbs going on for them that affects the way they view maybe war or patriotism or their connection to America? I do. Absolutely. They were very touched by the presentation that I gave them. Several cried. I even had some of the young men crying. You know, that wasn't my goal, but I think they were touched that this is something, 9-11 is something that happened in our country. And so many boys grew up with that. And that is why they chose to serve. I think it's it's been too long. And these kids that are being born now, they don't understand because they didn't live through it. But this helps them to get some idea of what we all live through. Knowing that you keep your grief so private, I appreciate that you are willing to take the time to share Matthew's story and to share your own story, because I think it's so important. I do think people need to know and to hear that kind of dedication to understand what Matthew fought for and so many others fought for and the importance of America and devotion to America and its principles. And so I so appreciate and honor your story and I'm grateful for your courage to tell it. It matters. I'm just really grateful that you took the time to tell your story. So thank you. And if anybody wants to read further into his story, they can purchase the book Reaper One, Reaper Force. And there is a chapter dedicated to Matthew's story. I will get the link for that and we'll link it in the show notes as well, because I think people might be interested in that and the hornet's nest as well. I think that's important. So I always end every interview by simply asking, tell me something good. There are so many negative things in the world and so many times we just need a little reshift. And so I just say something big or something small, but in your life right now, what's good? My job, my family, the opportunity to teach about Matthew. Sweet grandbabies always. Thank you so much for being here. Friend, I need to let you know that I am working on some pretty special things for 2023, and I would love it if you would sign up for my text club so we can stay in touch. It's super easy and free. Just text LOVELY to 936-253-6555. That's 936-253-6555. I'll drop the link in show notes so that you can get it there too, but hurry, you don't want to miss out on anything I have coming up. This week, Alicia said something that really struck me. Her story is marked with such courage and strength, and Matthew's sacrifice for our country is unimaginable. It's easy to see how a loss like this would be so devastating. But Alicia said, I don't want to be defined by my grief. What a statement. It definitely challenged me. 
Bad things happen in our lives, but we don't have to let them define us. We can choose to sit in our grief and let it wash over us, but we can also choose to keep walking. Alicia has chosen to see great purpose in her loss. She's chosen to see the ways that Matthew's life mattered and to continue his legacy through generosity and education. It made me wonder, what are you allowing to define you? No matter what it is, know that you are entitled to your pain, but also know that there is certain purpose in your journey. Don't miss it. Choose to open your eyes for the thread of good in your life. Make a conscious effort today to make some room for lovely.